There's our old goal right there. Reached and exceeded. You guys did a great job. If you want to see the new banner, it's hanging up on the back. Carol Groves did a really good job putting that together for us. So we've already got some marks on the new calendar. Did y'all see Miss Ina try to give me the right hand of Christian fellowship a while ago and then went whoop? Y'all see that? We don't need to be shaking hands unless we, I don't know, unless we have to, right? Right now, we've got enough sickness going around. Um, here's this book that we're going to look at tonight. Chapter 1, if you haven't read chapter 1, read it this afternoon. It's, it's really short. It's entitled, Spread the Word, Don't Overcomplicate It. And I think that's one of the reasons we get so fearful. It's, um, it's not as difficult as we make it out to be. Or... Uh, if we, can, if we can share it enough for, or simple enough for the vacation Bible school kids to understand it, then certainly we can, we can share it with adults, right? So this is going to give us some encouragement tonight from um, Dr. Alvin Reed. And um, what do you guys think about the new projector? Can you tell a difference? I mean, it's, it's really clear. Clear enough that it points out some of the pictures that we need to get changed, right, Luke? Man, I thought, oh, we got to update some of those pictures. Uh, so yeah, it looks really good. We're going to be back in Nehemiah today, so if you'll stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word, Nehemiah chapter six, verses fifteen through nineteen. And uh, if you will, bear with me as I pronounce some of these names. I have a hard time with some of those Old Testament names. Do you all? Okay, good. I'm not in the boat alone. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when our, all our enemies heard of it and the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. Also in those, those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. No relation. And the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him. Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah. Shechaniah. The son of Ara. And his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for uh, teaching us that you are a mighty God, that you work miracles, that we can not only read about miracles, but expect to see them today. Father, we pray that when we see you at work, especially doing things that uh, couldn't be done otherwise, that we can give you praise, honor, and glory. We can see joy in it. But as we see in today's scripture, we can also see that there will still be opposition, even when you do miraculous things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
if you'll notice, in the life of the church or maybe even in your personal life, when God does something miraculous, He does something huge, um, you kind of get on a spiritual high. Name a couple things that have happened maybe here or in your personal life where you were on a spiritual high for a little bit. Anybody? Okay, he answered a prayer. All right. And it was amazing. And because of that, we've all probably had prayers answered that after a while we were like, that was absolutely, it couldn't have been done anyhow except through the power of God. And then we're kind of on like this cloud nine for a little bit. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Right. Didn't think he'd make it, and then he got the treatment he needed, and here he is. Praise God. And when God does those things, you know, we're kind of like, I don't know about how you guys do, but I'm renewed. You know what I mean? I'm all like, you know, I'm going to get in here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, I'm going to share, I'm going to... I'm going to praise him. Uh, everything I'm going to, I'm going to look at and, and see what he does, right? It kind of changes your outlook for a little bit, right? I know it's not just me. You all, you all do it too because it's, it's human nature. We can read through Scripture and, and see that, that cycle repeated over and over. And if we're healthy, if we're healthy, what we'll do is we'll, we'll see what God has done and we'll recognize maybe the hardships and the good things of getting to this plane, this spiritual high, and we'll say, Lord, you did this all the way through. You did this, this, and this. And also the hardships were this, this, and this. And then we learn from them when we're healthy. But when we're not, we kind of just get on our little cloud, and then we move on, and then we make a lot of the same mistakes again. But as a believer, I think you would agree with me that this is one of the most productive times that we can have. If we can actually say we're healthy and then stop and say, okay, I'm on cloud nine right now with you, Lord. Let me recognize what you've done. And let me also see the hardships and how you provided even through those hardships. It helps us to where we don't make the same mistakes later on, to where we can see things. When it comes up again, we can go, okay, I saw this before. It wasn't named this, but it's the same type of deal. And I know how to deal with it now. But other times we kind of struggle, right? We think we're supposed to be on a spiritual high. Everybody else around us is on a spiritual high. We've done this Bible study that everybody's done, and we didn't get anything of it, right? And we kind of wondered what... What's going on? I'm still getting pounded. It's even worse. Right? And what happens when we, we get in those little bad funks? We get in those uh, seasons, I guess, if you want to be spiritual, you're going to use the word season, the seasons of our walk in the Lord. Um, we, we focus on the negative. And we focus on the negative in such a way that there's no blame on us. Y'all ever done that? Or y'all ever heard anybody do that? Everybody's wrong except for 
you or me. Tori, you got to be careful. She's not here. You say that. But your daughter might remember that. <laughs> right. We, we, and we need that pointed out to us sometimes, right? You look how negative you are. Everybody's wrong except for you. Um, we talk about the negative with a coulda, shoulda, woulda attitude. I've seen my dad explode a few times in, in, uh, in his lifetime, and, and uh, one of the times was when a friend came over and dad built something. It was built. It was done. And his friend said, you know what you could have done? Man, dad exploded. I, it wasn't even that bad. It was like, well, I could have, but it, you know, it's done, right? I could have, you could have done this. He lost his mind, and he said, could have, should have, would have. It's finished, right? Where were you when I was, right? And, and we do that. Sometimes we bury the negative like it never happened. We're pretty good at that, right? I know there's some families that they won't talk about anything negative. It happens. Everybody knows the negative's there, but what, gets happened, what happens to that negative thing? It gets swept under, and we just kind of put it away. But we need to deal with those things if we're healthy. And this scripture is going to show us today how we can see this. Especially when something happens that's so miraculous, something happens in the life of a church or in your family life, and we kind of deal with the, the, the negative as, as we go, but then we get to the top and we say everything should be fine, right? We've made it, so there shouldn't be any problems. There should be a time of respite. There should be a time of relaxing to say, man, look how awesome that this was, and we, we made it. We've, we've overcome all the things. And then at the top, it's not that way, right? We're all disappointed. We're like, well, I, I thought God was going to, like, give me a time. We've talked about this, haven't we? We thought that God was going to give me a, just a little bit of rest. Just give me, can you give me 10 minutes? And this scripture right here shows us that that's not always true. We see that in verse 15, a miraculous thing happens. And then we see that there's opposition from the outside. And there's opposition inside. The wall was built in 52 days. That's absolutely amazing. 52 days. And I kind of set the Sunday school class up this morning. I said, hey, is that a big, is that kind of, was that huge? And kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. It was two and a half miles long. How far is that from here? That's like from here to 62-ish. Right, Dave? I think that's about right. Maybe from here to the post office. Two and a half miles long. It was eight feet thick. Eight feet thick. The height averaged 39 feet. They put this together in 52 days. Friends, this is a miracle that they did this. Here's what some other people have said and done about this wall, okay? In the 16th century, so sometime in the 1500s, the Ottoman Empire, they rebuilt the wall. Guess how long it took the, the sultan there in the Ottoman Empire to have his folks put this together? Now, they didn't have machinery like we have. Four years. I'm sure they weren't like, well, I guess we're going to work on it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you know. They, they went at it for, for four years. 52 days seems improbable. 
Listen to what the historian Josephus said. If you've got the works of Josephus at home, it's uh, number 177 through number 180 in his book. Uh, He also gave orders that the builders should keep their ranks and have their armor on while they were building. So he, he knew this. He recognized this. He also appointed that their shields should lie very near them. And he placed trumpeters every 500 feet. And he charged them that if their enemies appeared... They should give notice of all the people that they would fight in their armor and their enemies might not fall upon them naked. So he's following along right. He also went about to compass the city by night, being never discouraged, neither about the work itself nor about his own diet or sleep. For he made no use of those things for his pleasure, but out of necessity. In this trouble he underwent for two years and four months, for in so long a time the wall was built, and in the 28th year of the reign of Xerxes in the ninth month. Now the walls were finished. And then he goes on just a little bit. So Josephus said 52 days is crazy. So I'm just going to go ahead and say two years and four months. Even modern archaeologists, Albright and his student John Bright, they disagree with the biblical account. And they lean towards Josephus' account. But then in 2008, there is a book published from a Marian Davis, she wrote about an archaeologist named uh, Kathleen Kenyon. And her work showed that the wall's thickness was to be about eight foot thick. But when she did her archaeology, it was digging around, she saw that they shortened it just a little bit. I'm sure they didn't shorten it like to, you know, a quarter mile or something crazy like that, but they shortened it just a little bit. And she says that its uh, length was shortened quite a bit and the finish being rough as might expected to be in a work executed so rapidly. So her evidence shows that, yeah, it could have been done in 52 days. It wasn't like a nice, clean, you know, Connecticut rock wall that you see. It's just all nice, nice and square. It was a 52-day work, you know, kind of thrown together. But all this to show that people will take the miraculous that God does and try to explain it away. Right? Let's look back at Scripture real quick. Verse 16. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. He did it. God did it. The miraculous happened. People try to explain away the miraculous, don't they? It's just something that we don't understand. Guys, I struggle with it. I struggle with how God could do something in any kind of situation without this natural thing. The Genesis account. Just take Genesis account. Even in our churches, we struggle with the fact that Genesis, the Bible says that it was six literal 24-hour days. He says there was morning, and then there was night, and then there was a day. We try to explain that away using verses out of Peter, right? A day is like a thousand years. Well, even that math doesn't add up, right? The risen Lord, he couldn't have died. He only passed out. Are you kidding me? Those Roman soldiers were good at their job, right? They beat him to the point of oblivion, stabbed him and saw that he was dead and stuck him in a tomb. But we'll talk about that. So let's look at verse 16, and we'll see the opposition from the outside. 
Even when miracles happen, there is opposition. Verse 16, and it happened when our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Now we live in a society that says, you've done it, right? Look at all the hard work you've done. I'm getting ready to finish. I'm writing my dissertation right now. And my hope is that this summer, my wife has given me a strict guideline. You have to be done because we're only paying one penalty. We're not paying two. We're not paying three, but one. You have to be done by this summer. And when I get done, I'm hoping that it's done, right? That I can kind of go, right, I'm finished. And that's how we expect all hard things to be, that we do something that's really hard, we get to the end, and then we can go, but that's not how it is all the time, is it? Sometimes we struggle to the top of the mountain, and then guess what's at the top? More hardness. And that's just okay, but we live in a society that says you shouldn't struggle for anything, right? I mean, we get calls all the time, and I talk to people all the time, and say, bro, Toby, we just can't pay our bill. So I guess it's my responsibility to take care of you now, right? Because you didn't work, you didn't, and it's always tomorrow. If you ever, Carl, do you ever get the calls up here? Hey, our electric bill is due. When's it due? It's due tomorrow. It's due this afternoon. Really? You knew that this bill was due all month and you couldn't pay it and you're asking like now? Right? Like I got the church checkbook up here and I can just run it to you. Right? But that's the society we live in. There shouldn't be any opposition. Everything should come easy. Come over to my house when the internet's not working and see what my reaction is. I like to lose my mind. I'm like, why ain't this working? Right? We pay X amount a month for this. How come I can't get it going? Just a little thing like the internet. But there's opposition from the outside right here. We see this in contemporary examples. Take our... um, the homosexual, the same, the same sex battle for, for marriage. They'll liken it to the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. You know, they were, they were repressed and, and made to feel terrible, like a second-class citizen, and, and that's how we've, we've been, right? It's now made legal, and because it's legal, you should, you should just accept it, right? There shouldn't be any more struggle. It's legal, We're in the modern day, you know, we don't live in the the Stone Age anymore. It should be fine. You shouldn't be pushing on me. Besides, it hurts my feelings. And I'm just hurt. So you shouldn't be doing that. Right? Same thing with the pro-life or the the pro-choice issue. It's been legal for how many years now? 40 years? 40 plus years? Why are you pushing on this? Are you saying that that a fetus is what they'll say? Is, more, is worth more than the, the rights of a mother? Why are you pushing on this? And you all see this in your lives as a Christian. I tried to share my faith the other day. Toby's trying to, you know, trying to challenge us, and, and I actually tried to go, and somebody said no, and I was just so embarrassed. Right? Like, there shouldn't be any opposition. Y'all remember the verse I read a while ago out of Matthew chapter 7? Right? There's only going to be a few who are actually Christians. There's going to be a whole lot who are not. Expect opposition. When somebody says no, just say, okay, have a good day. Right? God bless you. 
It's a little worse than that most of the time. We still can't believe there's opposition. And here in Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah helped lead the people to build the wall in 52 days. They were finished. And yet there's more opposition. Nehemiah 2.5 shows us how he got help from King Artaxerxes. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. King said, yeah, go ahead. He gathered up material, verses 7 through 9. If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of that region beyond the river that they may permit me to pass through till I go to the Jordan. In the letter of the, the keeper of the king's forest, they might give me a timber to make beams for the wall and all these sort of things. Chapter 3, we see that they were working in the hot, hot sun together. In 52 days, they did this in the summertime. June, July, and August, or July, August, and part of September. It wasn't like during the, you know, the easy part of the year. It was straight up hot. Chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. While I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall, the openings, I set people according to their families with their swords, with their spears, and with their bows. They were facing opposition while they were building it. Right? They were strapped. They had their stuff ready to go. There was also opposition from within. We see this in chapter 5. There was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. Remember they had that strife between, between the folks? Friends, they had a difficult time in doing this. They had opposition from the outside in building this wall. And so it's built, and they, they should be like, whew, we're done. And now we've got more opposition. Friends, the reality is, as a born-again believer, you've not arrived. In fact, it's really hard if we're following Christ on a daily basis. There's days when you wake up, you don't want to read. You don't want to pray. You struggle with what that person said to you yesterday. Maybe you've been in sin just a little bit. You know you're supposed to share your faith with that person, but you struggle with it because you've done that thing, right? And Satan's beating on you. All these different things. There is opposition from the outside. Guys, that's normal. If you're not having opposition from the outside, I would say something is wrong with our Christian walk. There should be some kind of opposition from the outside. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go by in it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, there will be few who find it. What is the way to life? It's difficult. It's difficult. There's going to be opposition without There'll be a church, there'll be a city ordinance against the church. There'll be that nasty neighbor. There'll be that coworker who makes fun of you. There'll be, all, there'll be that, that person in your home who fights what you're doing for the cause of the gospel. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Friends, we have to build our house on a solid rock, 
not a shifting foundation that's made with sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Why do you see so many of our Christian brothers and sisters who fall at every little thing? Their house isn't built on the solid foundation of the rock of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's on that feeling of the high, and then it goes away. The feeling of the high, and then it goes away. The feeling of the high. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Great was its fall. Verses 17 through 19, there'll be opposition from the inside. In those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of this one, the son of that one, the son of this one who's married to the daughter of this one, the son of that. Sound like our local churches, right? Who are you related to? Oh, nobody. They're my second cousin. This one's my third cousin. Everyone's married to this one. And you're like, okay, let's, you know, let's get to it, right? But this is why they were, they were tied to him. Their allegiance was more important for these folks than it was for the work of the Lord. And so they were worried about that. One of the hardest lessons, I don't know about you, but one of the hardest lessons for me was realizing that the worst kind of hurt that you'll ever feel is from family. Guys, I've been cursed like you wouldn't believe at my job in Kansas City. And it really didn't bother me that much. You know, I'm not coming back to your store. Okay. Not with that. I mean, with that attitude, fine, right? And of course, you don't say that. You go, oh, that's terrible. You know, you shake your head. When they leave, you're like, <laughs> glad, right? You knock on the door, you're doing some door-to-door gospel, and the guy just kind of opens, well, this, I didn't know what this was going to be, and waste your time and slam his door, and you're like, well, what are the chances of you seeing that again? Tyler, how many of those folks at Mardi Gras are you ever going to see again? The lost people. I mean, you're not going to see them, right? You're never going to see those folks again. You can almost say and do what you want. That's why the lost people say and do what they want. They're never going to see those folks again. The hardest lesson I've ever learned is that the hurt that comes from in the church. Guys, that's, that's tough. And you say, well, these folks are supposed to be my brothers and sisters, and they said this. Or they, they, they're talking about this and that. And that's hurtful. Right? Hurt from the inside. Think about it at your home. Right? You've got to go home to that person. When Chrissy's upset, part of the reason I want to take care of it is because I live with her. The other part is because I love her. Guys, we got to deal with that, right? I mean, it just doesn't go away. She's like, well, I'm mad at you, but, you know, give me five minutes and it's gone. That's how we do it. But ladies, y'all are like, we gotta, we got to talk about this. So I'm like, well, i just go ahead and deal with it, right? It hurts. And think about this right here. They just built this wall. They got all this, Nehemiah got all this stuff together, going crazy to get it done. Right, trying to raise up the city again in defenses of, of all the folks who want to hurt them so they can worship the one true God. And they've got folks from the inside who are having cohorts with the ones on the outside trying to bring them down. And I hate to burst your bubble, 
but it's the same in our church today. I'm not saying that everybody's like that, but you always got one or two. Here in this church, here at the one at the, down the street, we got 47 churches in Little Bethel, and it's the same thing in 47 churches. If we think that we can come in here and everything's going to be hunky-dory all the time, it's just not true. There's going to be somebody who gets upset about something, right? You know how I know this? Because I'm the pastor. And I hear about it, right? So I hear someone will say, I'm mad about this, or I don't like this, that, or that. Like, all right, right? And some people just have a bad day, and that's okay, right? You know that when somebody says something off, and you're like, hey, the rest of their walk is, like, pretty cool, right? And then the next time you meet them, everything's fine. But then there's, like, that one that's just, right, all the time. And you're like, okay, I see where this is going. I see where this is headed. And it's not that they're having a bad day. It's that they love their sin more than they love Jesus. And instead of getting upset and saying, okay, there's opposition from the inside, and letting it really grate on us, instead of letting it just work us over to where we get that negative and then it affects everything, to say, you know what, this person is either really hurting and they need to deal with this and I need to confront it, or they're lost. They're lost. And I need to love on them like a lost person. Right? They do this because they don't worship Jesus. They say they do. Look at these folks here. The nobles of Judah. Right? They used the name Jew. They lived in the city. They identified with this God. Yet they really weren't. Right? They were against him. They were against Nehemiah. They were against this God. They were against the people. And friends, the same thing happens in our churches today where some of our folks have slipped in like a wolf among the sheep. I'm not saying we have them, but sometimes they get into positions of leadership, right? Some of our pastors are that way. Some of our staff folks are that way. Some of our Sunday school teachers are that way. Deacons, you can list it all, you know, go, go all. Well, why are they like that? It might be because they're lost. We love on them like they're lost. Because we get to a top, a spiritual high, doesn't mean there's not going to be any opposition from without and from within. And for us to recognize that, to say, you know what, this place, I, I just can't do it anymore. I've got to go somewhere where it's greener, right? Pastors do that all the time. I just can't deal with it. I've got to find somewhere else where it's a little easier. Church members do it all the time. I want to hop over here, and I want to hop over here, and I want to go over here. And guess what happens? There's people at every single place. And just because you left one bad situation, where are you going to find at the new place? A new bad situation, right? We've got to recognize there will be opposition from without and sometimes in the church and to deal with that biblically. Love those folks who, who just struggle for, for whatever reason. Sometimes we can talk with them and friends, sometimes we can't. And that's okay but to recognize that they have that negativity and say, this is not going to destroy this church. Friends, I'm going to close today, and as I do, I'm going to ask you this. Are you going through a time right now where you felt like you've, you've reached this um, spiritual high, and yet you're still getting pounded? You're still getting hit from the outside, or maybe it's from the inside, and you just want some prayer. I want to encourage you during this time to come 
and say, Brother Toby, I need prayer. Uh, just pray for, for me and my life on, on this issue. You can be as specific or, or not, and I'd love to pray for you. If you're here today and you realize that, may hey, wait a minute, I, I have a spirit of negativity all the time. Maybe I struggle with um, just simply being lost. I want to encourage you today that Jesus does love you. He died for your sins. And what he's asking you to do is to repent of your sins, to believe in him, and he will give you a new heart. He changes you. Sometimes we try to change so much and we can't. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all else. And if we're, if we're not careful, we'll let it deceit, uh, lie to us until it's, till we don't have any more time. I want to encourage you today, if you're, if you're not born again, today is the day of salvation. As our musicians come up and as we stand for the closing hymn, I want to ask that you, you would come and make a decision for Jesus or come and pray at the altar if you want to do that. Father, we love you. I thank you for this time. And we just pray that, um, that we might, our um, thoughts and our actions might line up with who we say we, whose we say we are. Father, I pray for those who are here today who might not be born again, that they can experience the love of forgiveness that you offer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.